Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Start the new series of I Will. Morning, church. So it's not like I'm up here a lot. I have to send Pastor RJ away so that I can get up here more often. (laughs) But uh, we do pray for him and Pastor Mary and uh, their time away. It's very much needed. So what am I preaching on? Oh, yeah. I will. The series, um, it's... There's um, seven weeks. It's not going to be consecutive. Um, so, um, but there's seven weeks of messages uh, on the I wills of Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, um, I, I consider it an incredible honor to be doing this first one. And, um, you know, I don't know about you, but have any of you here had, um, or somebody promised something to you or there you know there was this yeah I'll come I'll do this or whatever and then they don't do it anyone not everybody so some of you've got really good friends <laughs> um or how many of you have actually you know committed to do something and then because you double booked or uh, something else came along and uh, whether willfully or unwillfully, you didn't do it. Yeah, okay, okay. Almost more hands there than before. Interesting. Do you know, um, our understanding of commitments and promises um, it could be a cultural thing. And um, I wonder sometimes, you know, what kind of favors we do our, our kids. Um, and, I, and I know that this is sometimes an issue, but where kids have a responsibility of being behind a camera um, or they have a responsibility somewhere in, in service in the church here in ministry, and uh, I know a lot of times, you know, talking with, with different people, well, so-and-so didn't show up or so-and-so didn't show up. And I wonder, is that the kids or is that the parents? Are we as parents teaching our children to be faithful with their commitments? If they have a commitment to minister, if they say, I will, are we teaching them the value of the I will? And then somewhere along the line, we register for a class and say, well, I will go to the class. I will do the homework associated with the class. I will, I will, but then we don't. You know, there's always emotion and feeling associated with being somebody who's at the one end of the I wills where if somebody fails you, there's a feeling of rejection, um, a feeling of betrayal. Matthew 5 verse 37 says, just simply say, Yes, I will, or no, I won't. And then follow through on it. Anything beyond this is from the evil one, the Bible says. It's from the evil one. We really need to take our commitments seriously. 
Jesus did, does. You know, promises are hard work. If we make a promise to something, and uh, it may mean that we have to say no to something else. Have you ever made a promise to something, and then along the way, all of a sudden, a better opportunity came up, and it's like, oh, but I said yes to that. Well, let's just come up with some kind of an excuse to tell them so that we can't. Have you ever done that? Okay, there's some honest people here. That's good. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 4 says, When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger, well, the promise that you made was, it was a mistake. That would make God angry. And he might wipe out everything that you have achieved. Hmm, ouch. Talk is cheap, like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. Do you know, keeping a commitment or a promise reflects your fear of God. How are we doing? Do you know, there's, like I said, there's seven messages. Each one of these messages reflect a different character of who Jesus is. They also reflect his heart for you, for us. What is Jesus promising when he says, I will? You know, Jesus knew the importance of a promise. He knew what they meant to the Christian. So the I will statements of Christ are promises that you can take to the bank. You can count on. These are statements and assurances from our Savior that we can count on them. We can count on him. He will never back down on any of these promises. Thank God for that. And so in Matthew 4, verse 19, he says, come, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Hmm. To whom is he talking? To whom is his invitation to come follow him? Well, literally in the scripture, the first invitation is to um, Andrew and Simon, brothers, Simon Peter. They were in a boat fishing as Jesus was walking by and he called out to them. And then a little later to James and John, they were sitting in their boats mending nets and he called out to them. But what does that mean for you and I? Is he calling out to you? Is he calling out to me? You know, I don't know about any of you. I never grew up fishing. My dad never taught me how to hold a rod. But I'm not a bad fisherman. I've caught one or two fish along the way. Anybody here fisher? Like fishermen? A few? Maybe you should come teach me how to fish. If I was to allow you to come teach me how to fish, what's the first thing that you would tell me? Oh, like this? Hold the rod right. Besides that, what else would you tell me? What's that? Get a lure. Oh, there's, where do you put that thing? Where do you put a lure? You know, I would imagine 
My dad never taught me how to fish, but Colleen's dad did. He taught me how to fish. He says, you do it like this. And he showed me. He showed me how to fish. I didn't know. I watched what he did and I did the same thing. Just like daddy. Well, my father-in-law. And I learned how to fish. Not a great fisherman. But you know, the disciples, they didn't have this fancy gizmo we call a fishing rod. They had a fishing net. Anybody fish with a fishing net? You know, I look at this thing and it's like, how on earth do they do this? Like, how do you throw this thing in such a way that it actually goes and catches anything other than air and a bunch of water? I can't figure this thing out. If it was about fishing, I would say to myself, can't do it. You're not enough. And I would probably hear some voices, oh, dude, you suck. Can't even throw the net out. Have you ever fished with a net? Anybody? Oh, what? Okay, one person. Oh, a few people. Okay, I just got to look around. But you know what? The majority of us have never fished with a net. It's a skill. And yet somehow we allow ourselves, when we try something, to believe voices that say, you're not enough. You know, when I remember receiving an invitation at the young age of 12 to follow after Jesus, and then with that, I will make you fishers of men grasping that concept, I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I'm all on board. And I go off and I go to school, to Bible college, I study, I become a pastor. I go off to be a missionary because I am going to be a fisher of men. And I did, and I did, and I did. And with all my doing, it was never enough. It was never enough. And I felt like a failure. I felt unworthy. How do you feel? When you're told, I will make you a fisher of men. Well, if I was to do it, you'd probably all run out the door, (laughs) right? But if Jesus comes to you and says, I will make you a fisher of men, what emotion rises up inside of you? What feelings rise up inside of you? Can any, fear, okay. Can any of you resonate with what what I've been saying? So as I, earlier during the week, as I was talking about my message with Colleen, she began expressing to me some of her emotions and feelings, and I I can't say it as good as she can, so I'm going to invite her to come up and share with you this concept of being told that I will make you a fisher of men. Colleen, how does that make you feel? You're running away? How does that make you feel? I always forget the mic. And it's not on. (laughs) Test. Okay. Now it's on. Okay, so when I hear that or read that verse, I don't think I understood it really at first. Um, But I felt overwhelmed. And I wanted to give up before I even started because I had this preconceived notion in my head what that meant. 
so it was always things that I thought I couldn't do, like be on a platform like I am right now. <laughs> and approach people on the street, start preaching to them. Um, be a teacher. Be an extrovert, which I am not. I am an introvert. And as much as I try and make myself be an extrovert, I am not. And that's okay. Just being a leader, period. I'm one of these people that I like to just hide behind people. <laughs> Let somebody else lead. I always, and I've always felt like I don't know enough. And so what am I going to say? I won't have the words. So Colleen, would you say that it's accurate that, oh, well, sorry. You were supposed to ask me what emotions are associated with that. Well, I did that the first time, but <laughs> okay. it wasn't in my notes. Okay, well, I am, I'm not used to being up here. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to tell you the emotions that I feel, okay? And I don't know if any of you relate, but some of you said already fear, okay? Um, failure, scared of rejection. So I don't want to fail, so then why do it? because I don't want to fail. It makes me feel like I am not good enough. It makes me feel like, um, yeah, just that I'm not good enough and that everybody else can do so much better than me. So um, even just, it's better to hold myself back and not feel the rejection because it hurts. It hurts like crazy to be rejected. So what I didn't realize, and when I was younger, um, as I grew up, my mom taught me a lot. Sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't bring up the, my mom. But she taught me so many things. And what I didn't realize was that these things that she taught me and that I was good at, that is how I could be a fisherman. She taught me to bake. My mom was one of the people that when somebody had a loss in the family, there was baking at their front step. When somebody had a baby, there was baking or soups or whatever. It didn't have to be just baking. Um, she was amazing. She had people over all the time. And that's, I, I picked up those things. I learned it, and and I did. I, when we were in Bolivia, our door was a revolving door. We had people over all the time, and somewhere along the way, I lost myself. I really did. I was rejected somewhere. I don't know where, but I felt like I wasn't good enough, and. I compared myself, and I felt like just being me wasn't valuable. Someone else could do it just so much better than me. Even standing up here and singing, I have to admit, I've felt that many, many times. I'm not good enough. Somebody else can do so much better. I make so many mistakes. Why, why am I up here? So somewhere along the way, we get caught up in the how. And we compare ourselves, and we fail, and we don't want to fail. And people reject us, and we don't want to feel that rejection anymore. So we isolate, and that's what I've done. So we don't love ourselves, and so how can we believe in ourselves and love others? So why bother being a fisher of men, if that's what it means, that you have to put yourself out there? And, and believe me, I recognize these are all ploys of the devil to keep us from our purpose and from what God wants us to do. Yeah. And uh, just before Larry continues, or Pastor Larry to all of you, <laughs> uh, 
on the way here, I just felt like God shared something or spoke something into my spirit that I should share with you. So I just talked about my accomplishments, the things that I can do. And what about the fact that, and I, and I feel like God said this to me. Okay, so you can think about all these things that you're good at. But what about the fact that, that I am a child of God and I am loved and that he always approves of me and believes in me? Yeah. So that way when we fail, and I just, you know, I just want you to think about that too. Like, remember, remember that you're a child of God and that he loves you. And he always approves of you. Yeah. Even when you make mistakes. And he's not going to reject us like people do. So that way when we fail, we don't allow our emotions to dictate who we are. If we could just grasp this. Yeah. And I believe me, I'm working on it, but oh, it is so hard. Yeah. Thanks, Colleen. So how many of you resonate with that? Okay, you're all clapping. Let me ask again. How many of you resonate with what Colleen shared? Do you know, we make statements like, I am a failure. I am afraid. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Or I am rejected. Do you know that every time we make a comment like that, we say, God is not enough. God is a failure. God is rejected. I know that sounds harsh, and you're giving me this stare. How dare you? But we say it. Let me explain. Do you know the name of God? I can almost guarantee that all of us would probably say, uh, well, I think I do. But the very fact that I'm asking you, you're beginning to question. Do you know that the name of God is a four-letter word? I'm going to slaughter the Hebrew. I should ask David Chatka to come up here and say it because I know he could probably do it much better than me because I'm not enough, right? But anyways, there's his name in English, the English letters, is Y-H-V-H. That's the name of God. They sang about it this morning. First song. The name of God. Yahweh. That is the most sacred name that exists. So sacred that many people don't even want to say it. But you know what? Each and every one of you, without fault, say his name all the time. You say his name because Yahweh is I am. He is the I am of all the I ams. So when you say, I am a failure, you say his name first. When you say, I am happy, you say his name first. When you say, I am sad, you say his name first. When you say, I am Larry, well, you don't say that except unless you're Larry, but when you say your name, you're saying the name of God first. Why is that important to being a fisher of men? Let me explain. Because this is so critically important. I do not want you to miss this. It's because your existence comes from his existence. He is the I am of all existence. The I am of all I ams. Your I am only exists because of his I am. And as you exist from him, so it is only from him that you can find the reason and the purpose for your existence. 
Therefore, when you say your name, you must speak his name. And you must always speak his name first. Because his existence is first. Long before your existence, I am existed. And your very existence flows out from his existence. That's the flow of existence. Therefore, you must put him first. And then let everything flow from that. Let everything begin with him and flow forth from him. That's the secret of life. To not only live for him, but to live your life from him. To live from his living. To move from his moving. To act from his actions. To feel from his heart. And to be from his being. And to become who you are from who he is. The I am. So your existence here, the very reason for your living flows out from who he is, the I am. So keeping that in mind, let's go back to Matthew 4, 19 to 22. Start, yeah. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, come, follow me. It doesn't say that in there, but I I can only imagine. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, I don't know where your mind goes when you hear this. But it's like, I'm trying to imagine. What were they thinking? What was the motivation that caused them to leave the only livelihood they knew to go follow somebody they did not know? I mean, is this just me or have you ever thought about this? Maybe it's just me. But this is the way my mind works. You know, and so I've studied this and I've researched this. And to understand, you have to know what was behind the phrase, come, follow me. And it all is based on their educational system. When the disciples, or before they were disciples, when Andrew, Simon, James, and John, and every other boy for that matter, when they were growing up from the ages of six to about 10, they went to school called Betsafer. And at that school, amongst other things, they had to memorize the Pentateuch Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, I don't know about you, but I probably would have failed at Genesis. I probably would have. Even though I enjoy reading through Genesis, I really don't enjoy reading through Numbers. That's a tough one. And yet, that was what was expected. And if they couldn't do it, they were sent back to their family trade to learn how to be fishermen which, by the way, is not as easy as one might think. The second stage to the educational system, for those that passed the first stage, Bet's affair, is Bet Talmud. And Bet Talmud, amongst other things, including learning to answer a question with another question, try that out for size. Somebody asks you, how old are you? What kind of a question are you going to throw back at me? How old do you think I am? Okay, I thought I'd get a better response than that. Anyways. But this is what, this is the way Jesus operated. He was asked questions by the Pharisees and Sadducees all the time. And he responded with questions. 
They had to memorize the rest of the Old Testament scriptures that were known to them at that time. Apart from the Pentateuch, they had to memorize the rest. So very few of them would have ever graduated from that. But the ones that did, they were promoted to the third stage of their educational system, Bet Midrash. In Bet Midrash, a potential disciple would go to a rabbi and ask if he could be his disciple. Now, every rabbi had a set of expectations that he had set uh, the criteria by which he would determine if somebody was worthy to be his disciple or not. And that set of expectations was called that rabbi's yoke. Hmm. That rabbi's yoke. For many of the potential disciples, they didn't have what it took to be just like the rabbi. And the rabbi would say, you know, I, think, I don't think you have what it takes. Go home and learn your family trade. But to the ones he thought were worthy to be just like him, not to know what he knows, but to be just like him, he would say, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And so you have Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he comes across Andrew and Simon Peter fishing in the boat, and he says, come, follow me. And immediately they left their boat and followed him. Andrew and Simon Peter, I can only imagine, if I was them, I would not be feeling very good about myself and my educational advancements. I would be thinking, I'm not enough. I'm a failure. I'm not worthy. And along comes this man that says, Andrew, Simon, you are enough. I believe in you. You have what it takes to be just like me. Because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Unlike the other rabbis who had their set of expectations so long, Jesus says, no, mine's easy. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. First Peter 2, 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Say it with me. Must follow. Are you willing? Are you willing to follow? To follow is not a matter of doing, but a matter of participating with Jesus. Jesus is inviting you to participate in what he is doing. To join him in what he has already started. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just join him. You see... It's all about surrender. Romans 12, verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Who did it? God. Let them be a living sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. That sounds like surrender to me. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. This is what pleases him. So what is it that you're offering? What is it that you are um, sacrificing? You know, I think this is where we confuse the process. What exactly does it mean to offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice? Through the majority of my Christian life, like I said earlier, 
It was all about doing. It was in grade 12 that I had an encounter with God that rocked me to the core in a good way. And at that time of my life, I surrendered myself to him saying, here I am, send me. Not really understanding because my idea, I'm saying send me, which again is submitting myself to him. But then I went to Bible school with this concept, I've got to learn, I've got to know what I'm supposed to know so that I can do what I'm supposed to do. And from there, I become a pastor. Then I become a missionary. And it's all about doing. And as a missionary, I'm growing God's church. You know, worship this morning, every song they sang, I could have interjected as part of my message. Build your church, build your church. Who's building the church? Jesus is. He says, I will build my church. But I was trying to build his church and doing a great job at it. We went in a, court, in a period of about a year and a half, we went from just a small group of university students who didn't know anything about a relationship with Jesus other than what they grew up in, um, which was very religious, to having a church of over 100 people. And 90% of that 100 people were first-generation Christians. But it never was enough. I kept trying to do more, trying to do more, and feeling like it was never enough. To the point, after nine years, God said to me, he said, he said, Larry, it's time you move your family back home. I'm like, what? Do you see what God is doing here? Do you see what you are doing here? And I fought with him for a whole year. I didn't go back home. I didn't listen. And it wasn't until a year later that I actually listened and, I, and we moved back home. And after moving back home, when everything I was doing was no longer my doing, I lost who I was. I lost my identity because my identity was based on what I was doing. I didn't have it anymore. And in the losing of my identity, I realized for the very first time that the one person in my life that I needed to be committed to I wasn't because I was too busy doing. I was too busy doing to realize that I had been failing my wife. And so God said, it's time for a reset. Time for a reset. What did that reset look like? Romans 12, verse 2, the first part of the verse. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world. What are those behaviors and customs? To do. To carve out for yourself the path you want to go. To be in control of your own destiny. Sound like any of you? That was me. That was me. But it was, I was justifying it because I believed I was doing it for God. You know, I think Paul, when he was Saul, said that. Everything he was doing, I, he was doing for God. But then it says, but let God, that's surrender, let God transform you. Does the transformation not sound something like, I will make you? This is it, to transform that is the process of taking something in its original state and changing it into a desired state. He says, let God transform you into a new person. Say it with me. New person. Who makes you into a new person? 
God. Into a fisher of men. Into a true disciple. Into whatever he wants you to be. How? Don't forget this. By changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. How do you go from not being a fisherman to being a fisher of men? Or from being a fisherman, sorry. How do you go from being a simple fisherman for fish to a fisherman for men? Fisher of men. Good grief. I'm struggling with that one today. How do you do it? By changing the way you think. It's not about going and doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. Well, I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to go take this class if I want to be in ministry. And I have to be in ministry in order to be a fisher of men. And it becomes a rat race. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, I have to take D12 low if I want to be in ministry. No, you don't. You get to. Because we're joining in in what Jesus Christ is doing. We're making disciples who make disciples. It's not about a have to. It's not about doing. It's about learning to be. It's about learning to be in his presence. Oh my goodness. I have so many verses about the way we think. I'm going to bypass them all. Romans 12, 2, the second part. Then, Paul says, then. When? Then. When you have surrendered yourself to him, when you have allowed him to transform you through the changing of your thinking, making you into this perfect image of himself, a fisherman, a fisher of men a true disciple, when, then, then you will know God's will for you, his perfect, his good and pleasing and perfect will. How many of you go through life, I really don't know what my purpose is? I'm telling you, your purpose is in changing the way you think. It's not about doing because your doing is a result of your being. You be God's child. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Learn to abide in him. Learn to love him with all your heart. Learn to be the branch and not the vine. The branch receives from the vine everything it needs to be a fisher of men, to be fruitful. Stop trying so hard to do it on your own. Jesus did nothing except that his father told him. Nothing. He knew what it meant to abide. So when Jesus says, I will. That is his part. What's your part? What is your part? He says, follow me. This invitation is for everybody. You may say intellectually to me, well, pastor, I'm already following Jesus. I'm already following. That would have been me. 10 years ago, guaranteed. Yeah, no, I, I've already responded to the invitation. Yeah, I'm good. To follow Jesus his way, in his time, 100% surrendered. To follow, just like for the disciples, means to die to self every day, living your life not for self, but from him. To follow is living your life not just for him, but it's living your life from him, the I am of all I ams. Then we spend time with Jesus. 
to become his disciple is just like the disciples. They spent time with Jesus. They learned by being with Jesus how to know what Jesus knows. And they became like Jesus. They became like Jesus. When we become like Jesus, we become a fisher of men. We become a true disciple of Jesus Christ. We don't do any of this out of obligation. We do it as an opportunity to join him in what he is doing. We partner with him in the work of the ministry. And everything that we do, we do from his strength, from his spirit, which flows through us to accomplish the things that I can't accomplish apart from him. Anybody who knows me regarding speaking, like Pastor RJ does, knows that when I'm asked to do a message, I'm working on it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before I ever get up here. Pastor RJ doesn't have that privilege, speaking more regularly. But you know, for this particular message, in my mental thinking of, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to put this together. I've got to have this organized by this time or else I'm not going to be ready to preach on Sunday. The Lord says, "Uh uh-uh, not this time. He says, I just want you to pray. I just want you to sit at my feet. And so for the weeks prior, I would be praying, I'd be asking, God, what is it you want me to know in preparation for this message? And I got nothing. Just just sit at my feet. And he showed me all kinds of other things throughout the week. I'm up early every morning praying, listening to worship music, nothing. Like, God, time is running away from me. I've got to prepare for this message. Again, this battle in my mind. I have to, I have to, I have to. And he says, just be. Because from your being will flow everything that you need. Listen, guys. We go through life trying to be the best version of a Christian that we can be. And the best version of you is at the feet of Jesus. It's at the feet of Jesus. And everything will flow from that. Everything. Stand with me. You know, the devil's always trying to distract us with so many negative thoughts. So many negative thoughts. Second Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because that is when we keep our mind focused on the one who created all things and who wants to create through you as we surrender to him. You know, there's this song that I love. It's called Abide, sung by Kingdom Culture. Part of the chorus goes like this. Because all I want to do, all I want to do is know you. I want to be next to you. I want to be one with your spirit, Jesus. Teach me to abide in you. To hear your voice all around me. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going through your day and hearing his voice constantly? Feeling his presence with you? As you engage with people? Hearing him say, 
I've got a word for this person. I want you to encourage this person. This person needs your prayers. That's the fruit of abiding. Jesus died on the cross so that we could abide. So that we could have access to the Father. That's where our worth is from. It's from what Jesus did on the cross. Because his love is so intense. He sings over each and every one of you. Have you experienced that love? You are so worthy. Get rid of that not enough stuff. He says you are enough because of what Jesus did. Your enough flows from him. And so when we partake of the communion, we're reminded of his broken body. It was broken for you. Broken so that we might be made whole, so that we would be enough. And so, Father God, as I hold this broken bread in my hands, I'm reminded of the sacrifice of your son. And oh, how honored is he. He is worthy. He is everything. And just like the scriptures say in Philippians chapter 2, he was bruised, broken, died on a cross, but he was elevated because of that. He was elevated above all things. He was honored because of all things, above all things. And so we just say, thank you. What more can we say but just thank you? partake together. The cup re represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The shed blood of Jesus Christ is what washes away all sin. Do you know in our minds, in our thinking, one of the greatest attacks of the enemy is that we're not good enough. Why? Because of our sin. Because we try and try and try to live a perfect life and we fail. And then the devil comes in and says, see, you're not good enough. You're a failure. You can't do it. You're a screw up. And Jesus says, uh-uh. It is for you that my blood was shed. Your sins, past, present, future. Covered it all with my blood. And so I say, Father God, thank you for the shed blood of your son, your one and only son, who died on the cross for me, who shed his blood, that I can have access to the throne room of God and say, Abba, Daddy, I love you. Just let me sit at your feet. Let me hear your voice. Let me learn from you. Let me learn about you. Father God, the thoughts that come against me that want to tear me apart, I declare that they are held captive. In Jesus' precious name, by his blood, they are held captive that I can hear your voice. And I can follow you. Thank you. Let's partake together. He's inviting each and every one of you to come, to follow. He says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Do you accept his invitation? It doesn't matter how mature you think you are. 
every single one of us need to respond to this invitation. Here, my Lord, send me. Hallelujah. My goodness. Oh, aren't we privileged to be standing together to, in the presence of the Lord? Pastor Larry, Colleen, we again, we just want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being who you are and encouraging us and bringing us forth. Your love for God is palpable. Your love for people is tangible. And your work ethic would rival Nehemiah's men that worked on that wall. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hallelujah. You know, there was so much there. That first service I said to Pastor Larry, I said, oh, my goodness, you like baked a cake. Many layers, many layers. We just have to take them one by one and go over them. But what I felt this time was in between the layers, you know, there's frosting, right? Somebody put some chocolate chips in that frosting. So I bit into a chocolate chip and, wow, it's sweet, it's good, but I've got to chew on it more. So again, thank you so much for blessing us with the word of God today. Hallelujah. I really felt like I have a short story to tell you uh, about a fisherman. There was two young men that used to go fishing all the time. They were buddies and got together. and So they'd always be telling different people about how big of a fish they caught, you know. And uh, so, but uh, one was very patriotic and the Vietnam War happened and so he signed up to go off to service. And when he was there, he had his right arm blown off. And he came back to see his old fishing buddy. And, and uh, he said, well, let's go fishing, but you probably can't because you only have your one arm. And he said, oh, I can fish. He said, I still go fishing. And he says, well, how do you worm the hook? He said, well, I just put the hook in my mouth and I just put the worm on there and I just throw it out there and when I get a bite, I just jerk it and pull it in. I put the rod between my legs and I just reel it in. Well, he says, I know that you like to go deep fishing, deep sea fishing, but he says, I know you can't do that. Oh, he says, yes, I can. He says, that boat has a little thing that I can put the, put the big pole on and and I can just throw it out, and when I get a when I get a bite, I can just jerk it and and then just reel it in. And uh, his buddy looked at him and he said, "Well, what's the biggest fish you ever caught?" And he goes, "I say that because with God, with God, there's no limit. We limit ourselves." But with God, there's no limit. I'd just like to share with you a little bit about our church went on a fishing trip. And uh, I was out there in the boat, and it was about two hours, and didn't catch a thing. And uh, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, put your pole on the other side of the boat. So I did, and I caught a fish right away. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But you know, with me, it was quite a process because he had to get me ready. So, but anyway, he got me ready and uh, I'm so thankful for what he did. So I'd like to close with this scripture. Therefore, if any... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation.
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. So you all have a ministry. You all have a ministry. So just Windsor Christian Fellowship, go. You've been equipped. I forgot that part. But you have. Now go. Hallelujah.